This week on Invasion of the Podcast, we kick off our year of canon by looking at 1980's The Apple, which is all about the power of rock in 1994. Two kids looking for a new thrill. Steve. He is the most feared and powerful warrior. And Paul. A strong-willed woman who knows what she wants and just how to get it. But this time, the thrill went too far. Their target, Canon Films. The home of high-powered, high-voltage motion picture entertainment. With the screen's biggest spectacles, brightest stars, and boldest lineup of explosive entertainment. We're taking motion picture excitement over the edge and your box office over the top. We're Canon Films and we're Dynamite. So a lesson to learn from Canon is that if someone's already done it, you take half of it and use it in your new thing. So there you go. Um, that that's our, our can our, that be our new theme song for every episode? Is, uh, um, over the top, it got me pumped up. Yeah, or, or, sorry, winner takes it all. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is our year of the Canon. Uh, we're talking about Canon films, and Steve is the brave warrior, and I am. Uh, the young tough woman that knows how to get what I want or, or whatever that is. Um, so this will be fun. Uh, we're going to be getting into a lot of weird movies this year. This then to kick it off, it's going to get really weird from the jump. Yeah. Um, so the one thing I'll say though, of the movies we have slotted, one of them is not over the top, um, <laughs> but it has like the best soundtrack and yeah. also the same cinematographer as this movie that we're going to talk about uh, tonight. Um, and I feel like, Later in the year, we should just go ahead and cover the little top as like a separate thing. Like even if it doesn't fit in with the calendar of the year of the canon, okay, it'd be kind of weird to not talk about it. I just I just feel like there's this is one of the situations where we felt like there has to be plenty of canon movies, and there are, but it's like people when we reached out to people to talk about things, there there's the ones that people gravitate towards because they know them, and yeah. over the top's one of them, and it's it's a fun movie. Uh, but I wanted to stray away and get into some of the more oddball things again like tonight's discussion that we're going to have um but i feel it would be kind of weird to not have a discussion about over the top at some point so perhaps we'll we should out. design an entire show around arm wrestling arm wrestling arm wrestling yes yeah. we'll, we'll just do all the famous arm wrestling movies both of them and then we'll, we'll <laughs> revisit revisit uh, something from last year with our year of the knockoff uh with hands of steel which was out before <laughs> over the top as we found out but yeah so anyway we're not talking about over the top tonight. We're talking about so we're starting off the year of canon. Uh, we're going. Um, we're going to go chronological through the year for our picks. Uh, the, so the first one that we're covering is the the Apple from 1980. Uh, it is it is a musical. Uh, the first musical we've covered on Invasion of the Podcast might be the last that we cover on Invasion <laughs> of the Podcast. Who knows? Um, yeah, this is one of those ones that we when we were watching the um, Electric Boogaloo uh, documentary, it was it was kind of referenced in passing. And it was like, it looked crazy enough that I'm like, I need to see this movie. And it's always been kind of that one that once you start getting into, um, you know, box office bombs or lesser known cinema, the Apple's been there. It's always kind of been on the corners. Like I've, I've heard about it. I've, I've seen things from it. I've never seen the movie though. Yeah. I mean, I, I won't go into too many other movies, but like you hear about films like Ishtar or um, 
Uh, there's one, I think it's called Heartbeeps with uh, Andy oh, Kaufman. Yeah, yeah, with the robots, like, yeah. Yeah, I feel like those are all sort of in that same category as the Apple, but the Apple is the only one that I believe is a musical. Actually, I don't know off the top of my head, and I'm sure we'll go into this in the discussion, how many like successful musicals there were at this time in film. Like, Well, I'll, have, I'll bring up some names. Yeah. Like, like, so that's a good jumping off point. So um, I didn't know how to best tackle this because sometimes I know our conversations kind of go all over the place. I don't know I, what you're talking about. I feel like um, you know, Menachem Golan would appreciate how, how random and all over the place our conversations get because I feel like that's his storytelling sometimes, and we'll get into that too. Um, <clears throat> the Apple premiered in Chicago in October 1980. Actually, it premiered in Montreal, but it, its U.S. release was in Chicago. Uh, the, the actual official wide release date was November 21st, 1980. Uh, released the same day as The Visitor, which is a weird European like sci-fi horror film that people keep telling me I need to watch because Franco Nero's in it and he's Space Jesus. Oh, nice. This movie needs to be seen by me and I need to get to it. Yeah. So, But think about like if you're going to go to the movies that weekend, you're like, what should I watch? The Apple or The Visitor? And you're like, I don't know. Like, you know, the power of Rocket 94 or Django a Space Jesus. There, you know, there was, there was, maybe that's why the Apple didn't succeed because the box office dollar got split. Um, so, so this begs the question, um, you know, at least in my area, the multiplex wasn't really a thing. Like, releases were much smaller back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had two movie theaters in town, uh, one had three screens, the other one had four. Yeah, and you I know. had one theater in my hometown that would show movies like a month or so after they came out. Okay. Like just because of a smaller market. You'll appreciate the name of the theater. It's called the Manos Theater. Nice. <laughs> so the Hands Theater is what it was called. <laughs> um, so it was always exciting because the movie you play for the one weekend and then we move on to the next thing. It was very rare for us to get something that was day and date released there. Okay. Yeah. It's just funny to me, like, you know, to think, like, oh, what are we going to go see? There's two movies playing this weekend, mm-hmm. you know, like, but that's how it was, you know. Yeah, that was like, well, how many times do I want to see Teenage Ninja Mutant Turtle, Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Use? Four times is what I want to say. That's the right answer. Well, it's it's also interesting when you take into account that films would sometimes play for a year straight in some theaters. Yeah, no, that, that's fair. Like, I mean, we uh, Star Wars, we not to <laughs> hey, look at that. We fit Star Wars in this conversation. <laughs> like, it had huge runs and it had like you know, revival runs yeah. shortly thereafter. So, yeah, that's you're right. That I came across like an ad for I think Raiders was like starting its second year at this theater. I'm like, oh my god, yeah, right. So, now if a movie comes out and does even if a movie has staying power, it's only in the theater for like a month or so, yeah. if that, you know. Um, and we say this as the news came out that Black Panther's coming back to theaters for a week for free. So good, good on Marvel. But yeah. yeah. So yeah. So it does happen sometimes that stuff does come back. Um, all right. Other things that came out around this time to kind of give you a little bit of an idea of what was going on. Um, Raging Bull with Robert De Niro came out the week before the Apple. Uh, again, I'm so bad with movies. I've not seen it. I know it's an important one. So probably pulling the critical eye and the critical dollar at that time, as opposed to the Apple. Um, Flash Gordon would come out December 5th. Like, so it'd come out a couple weeks after mm-hmm. the Apple. So you talk about like movies that had soundtrack or like Flash Gordon is not a musical, but it has a soundtrack by Queen. Like, so it's, it, it's butting up against it, you know? Yeah, like I would say that soundtrack's almost bigger than that movie. But, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and also uh, Popeye, which is actually a musical, came out a week after that on December 12th. So there was a lot of weird music-based films coming out within a month of that time. So, like, you know, just 
just I don't know. Like that maybe that's what you know we're. It was in the air at the time. Kinda yeah. And so number one film that weekend though was Private Benjamin with Goldie Hawn. Uh, so you know, kind of a dramedy about her joining the army. I've seen that. I don't remember anything about it though. Um, I haven't seen it in. I'm gonna say at least. 20 years but, yeah, yeah but i mean that just to also give you an idea there too so number one song because i like always kind of going out with these release dates and this also kind of speaks to the era in which this film was released there's a song called woman in love by barbara streisand that was written by um barry gibb and one of the other gibb brothers of the bgs so it had that post disco kind of vibe to it um so and also just a few weeks before this number one another one bites the dust was number one by queen and then the week after this would be lady by kitty rogers so a weird mishmash of the world of music and movies and it was you know definitely 1980 so we're transitioning from the excess of the 70s i mean well the 80s was excess too but it was more you're starting to see there's there's a sea change coming right so that that kind of all over the place that's interesting to me that um that Queen would have, you know, another one bites the dust, and then a movie come out like a month later that they did the entire score for. Right? Yeah, right. Like, and um, and so Queen was a big deal, right? But like, they I mean, were, that's just yep. a, that's a tremendous amount of output, especially if, you know. I mean, some artists you're lucky to get, you know. Yeah. Uh, an album in five years, let alone. Well, I mean, considering uh, that, like Daft Punk, when they put out. They, the score for Tron Legacy, they hadn't released an actual studio album for a number of years, a few years before that, and that took them another, like another two years to release Random Access Memories after that. So yeah, you're right. Like that's a, a tremendous that's, undertaking to yeah. do that. Um, so um, we're talking about on the subject of uh, <laughs> we're talking uh, about the Apple. Let's talk. More well, about no, like Queen. so I think this is like this is all context, right? Like yes. Queen had a flair for the dramatic, and they also had a very you know theatric appeal to it, right? So, and and say what you want about Flash Gordon. Which again, I've not seen because I'm bad. I've seen the Apple, but I've not seen Flash Gordon. <laughs> but I know the Flash Gordon soundtrack. Yeah, you know, like they and and before that with like you know Bohemian Rhapsody and other things they put out. They they know theater. They know like pomp, right? And they also could write good goddamn songs. So mm-hmm. you know, and and then even later we're talking about Canon. When this is not even a film that's even on our list, but they did the music for Highlander or a lot of the soundtrack for Highlander some badass music in that movie, right? Yeah. So they, they know what they're doing. Uh, so context in terms of other films that had come out within the previous 10 years of this one, and because you said, were there other successful musicals that were film-based? Um, we have Godspell in 73, Jesus Christ Superstar also in 73, Phantom of the Paradise, which was a bomb, but it's a fun movie. I've, I've seen that. I've never seen that. Um, I have a copy. You're more welcome to borrow it. Okay. Um, Paul Williams did a lot of the music for that. Uh <laughs> It's it's a really it's it's not the strongest film, but it's it, there's a lot of good to be had in it, and it has a really cool um, antagonist, or I should say, the 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 person who's put in front and center that's the Phantom of the Paradise yeah. has a cool outfit, and he uh, plays the character. Just it, it's great. It's a fun movie, uh, but it was also a box office bomb. But I, I always confuse it for some reason with the uh, the Kiss movie, the uh, uh, TV. Oh, Kiss and something in Central Park or whatever yeah, it was. It's yeah, like the Phantom the, of, of Central Park. I, yeah. So, I was going to put that on my list, but I don't think that really counted. Uh, Tommy uh, was came out seventy five, that you know based on upon the Who album, that was a big deal. Uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show seventy five, which wasn't necessarily a box off success, but it would you know keep burning and building a, a following, right? Yeah, and you can I mean, there's you still can feel that screen in on well, Saturdays. At even midnight. the Cedar Lee here in Cleveland on uh, the first Saturday of each month, they have a midnight showing of it. So um, that movie definitely started building a following, and you could see. You could see some of the wanting of 
of the Apple to try to be the Rocky Horror Picture Show. You could definitely see that. Um, a Star is Born from 76. That's more of a, like, you know, a performer with Chris Christopherson and Barbara Streisand. Hacks. You know, hacks, you know. That movie, it's... If they ever remade that, it wouldn't go nowhere, you know. Um, uh, Saturday Night Fever from '77, the Bee Gees, uh, yeah. with John Travolta. Would you consider that a musical though? Not, not a musical, but like their soundtrack, like in the vein. They're jumping on the disco vibe at that point and that's making fair. a movie that's surrounding around dancing. You're right; it's not a musical. Um, you know, just as much as The Star Is Born is not a musical. It's yeah, more that's of a, true. Like, I don't know why I jumped on that versus The Star Is Born, but. I just think that they're all kind of a similar orbit, right? So, yeah. um, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Heart Club, Lonely Hearts Club Band in '78, which had members of the Bee Gees in it, but none of the Beatles. Um, that's that's a, a flop as well. But that it was all surrounding the Beatles music. Um, the Wiz in '78, um, you know the the more uh, Motown R and B version of the Wizard of Oz with Michael Jackson and, and others Nipsey escaping Russell, me right now. Russell, yeah, Nipsey yeah. Russell, uh, Grease in '78. That's a straight musical. Yeah, that is a straight up uh, musical. Hair and 79, a straight musical. Yeah. So, and there's probably others too, but like if you think about it like now and like the past, like you know, let's say the last 10 years, how many films have been released and like a you know, wide release that are musicals that for people to go see? Uh, like, and you're going to ask me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have no idea. I know La La Land was nominated for a lot of. You know, a lot of uh, awards two years ago. Yeah. But that's kind of the outlier. Like, you know, there's not too many straight up just musicals, like, you know, that are. Like there are like the greatest showman came out recently with with Wolverine in the lead. Yeah. Um. And, and that that's good, and because I think it's an interesting type of art form. It's not maybe not for me, but if there's people that like it, have at it, right? But I don't think there's many studios putting out those on a regular basis as this was and taking some chances with it. Yeah, I mean there was that version of uh, Les Miserables that uh, I also had Wolverine. That yeah, that also had Wolverine and uh, Russell Crowe crooning. So yeah, so. Um, it's it's an art form that doesn't go away completely. And I know they're they're remaking West Side Story now. Uh, there's you know other things that are showing up, right? And um, and this will speak to some of this. We're going to get to the end about the Apple's viability, right? So we'll get to that towards the end here. But just the context that for Menachem Golan, you know, this wasn't his baby. It was actually, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Kobe wrecked and Iris wrecked. Iris wrecked. They're the ones that had the story and the concept. Uh, in the 70s, and they actually knew Menachem Golan like when they were growing up in Israel, and they pitched the idea of a 1984 type idea of like dystopian future, but with music. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Oh, we'll make it a movie. We'll make it a movie." And he just like fast tracked it. So um, it was one of those things where they're like, "That's great," and then they didn't realize the like the price they paid to get their story in front mm-hmm. of an audience. So at this time, um, uh, Golan Globus, Menachem Golan, and Yoram Globus were this this even though this film was distributed by Canon, they had not yet bought Canon um, as, as like a majority share. Um, they had had success in Israel uh, with making movies that had like small returns, and every so often they'd have a movie that would get nominated for Best Foreign Picture for an Oscar, and they would kind of parlay it into like a bigger project, and it would collapse. So they were always scrambling from one project to the next. I mean, uh, and again we kind of talked about this a little bit in the uh electric boogaloo episode but that was kind of like their thing for their entire existence was them chasing you know a, a new project you know and as long as they can make the up. next movie yeah. and, they, and they're like the next one will be the hit right mm-hmm. so um it's funny that like specifically did you notice that there's a bit in the film and this is jumping a little ahead here where um mr boogaloo tells uh the the the, um, the kids uh uh, BB and um, Alfie, like, uh, what was it? Where's the statement here? Um, 
there's a line here along the lines of like you, you you sell the thing and then you make it is what they, what, what Mr. Uh, Boogaloo told them, like, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll make it later. The important thing is to sell it. Up I front. did catch that. Yeah. I kind of forgot about it until you just mentioned it, but I did catch that at the time while I was watching it. And, uh, that's very, that could very much be the motto of Canon films. Yeah. So that's, um, that's what they say there is, uh, what was it? Um, first you sell it, then you make it. Like yeah. and that's what Boogaloo's telling the the two characters and I'm like, holy shit, this is in front of him, in front of us the entire time, right? So, th- this is kind of the, the the time and space is that he, you know, the, the, these people brought this idea to him and then they and so, <clears throat> uh, what happened was, uh, the the songs were were written in Hebrew. Um, was it Hebrew? I think it was Hebrew. So a lot of what they liked, they had to bring somebody in to translate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where George S. Clinton shows up, who's in the movie. Uh, and he actually could translate from Hebrew to English. So they started working on these songs. But by the time the film got in production, they only had 50% of the music in place. And they were already Europe shooting. I know this is kind of getting in front of the movie itself, but just to give you an idea of what we're about to talk about, the breakneck of like, we're just going to get this done. Yeah. And, and things weren't set in stone. So... Um, yeah, this is setting the stage for why not make a musical? Why why not incorporate popular music? Well, you know, the, the songs are written in one language. I'm sure they'll translate fine in another language. It's okay. We'll just keep making it, <laughs> you know? So, so yeah, they're, 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 they're kind of like t- teases what we're going to talk about, but, um, I don't know if we'll talk about cast for a second before we get into the story and proper. Sure. Okay. So we got Catherine Mary Stewart, Catherine Mary Stewart's BB. We know her. We've talked about her previously on our, our episode about the last Starfighter. Uh, she was also in um, uh, Night of the Comet. Mm-hmm. Um, we love her. She's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a delight. This was this her, first, her film. first film. Yeah, yeah, this was her debut. Um, she was a dancer um, at the time, and she was learning dance. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm going through puberty. Well, because no. you're talking about Catherine Mary Stewart, oh. of course, to be like, she you know, was a dancer. I love you, Alex Rogan. Yes, we all love. You. <laughs> we, we love Alex, but we love you. Yeah. Um, but uh, she basically found out about the audition because a bunch of other dancers were going to audition, and uh, she kind of fell into it. Like, I don't think it was really her intent to become an actress. I think that she no, Menachem saw her in the distance and was kind of doing like the whole like because yeah, yeah, she has she was really. Really attractive, you know, like pretty face, very all American. Yeah, I, I mean, she's very what, much the girl next door. Yes, you know, um, she's got that Sandra Bullocky kind of quality about her in the sense that, like, you know, she's also kind of the girl next door as well. Like, there's something very, like you said, all American about her, so. which would probably speak. So, also the thing we got to consider too is at this time, uh, Menachem Golan uh, and and uh, and Yoram were, were trying to. Um, trying to break into the American market and mm-hmm. nothing that they made at that point had actually cracked. And they knew that if they could get the American market, they could get it. Like that's where the money was. And that's where the respect and credibility was. So it was always looking for that thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> and so with her, not a bad, like, I mean, granted you could argue about her performance here, which I don't think was that bad. I think considering the nature of the film, well, considering her first film that 95% of it is a musical and it's not her voice singing. That's true. I can't really like, and the dancing she had down, like yeah, her dancing's great. Like you can't really discredit her acting because, unfortunately, a lot of it is done through song. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to go too deep into like what my likes are, but like when it comes to musicals, I'm not. I'm cards on the table. I'm not a big musical guy. Um, 
and to be perfectly honest, like I, I actually will often hold that against uh, like even older Disney films. Um, you know, there was a period where if it was an animated Disney film, it had to be like ten minutes before you know the movie would really take off, and then every character would bust into song, and mm-hmm. then maybe you'd get a couple minutes of dialogue, and then another number, and then. For me personally, like that grates on me. Um, Did you see Enchanted, the one with uh, Amy Adams? I've not. No. You would like it. It kind of takes the piss out of that formula, while okay. also being a live action Disney film with songs. Okay. But it has that fun with that of like, why is all of this happening right now? <laughs> it's 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 an enjoyable bit. I think you'd like that movie. And I mean, myself when I was in high school, being a thespian, I was actually in a couple of uh, uh, of, of musicals. What uh, musicals were you in? I was in um, Hello Dolly. I was in um, Flower Drum Song, and then uh, I was also part of the band that comes in at the end of the play for. Um, oh God! Uh, why can't I think of the name of it? Uh, uh, the Simpsons monorail episode is is oh, the uh, the music band. Yeah, the music that, band. Okay, yeah. Mono- like that was my point. I'm like, what's all the music band? <laughs> Monorail. Um, so. Monorail. Yeah. <laughs> I was in a musical as well. So, oh, uh, which, yeah, which musical? I was. Um, I was in the Apple. <laughs> no, uh, uh, in um, oh, we did, I have the trailer. We'll get to that in a minute. So okay. we'll, we'll play that for everybody. So if they're not familiar with the film, they're going to be familiar. Um, I was in college. The only musical I was ever part of was uh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Wow! Did so, you get to wear the Dreamcoat at all? I, I did not. I was Jacob, so I was the father of Joseph. Oh. Um, so I actually had a solo. Wow. I, just, I I think it was a matter of we have no one else here. We have to give it to this kid. And so I had like a solo of like a couple lines and then I would greet, you know, Joseph. Uh-huh. You know? And so I have no idea if the people there heard me. I tried. <laughs> uh, and they had me dancing, you know, and it was like I was wearing burlap pants. It was uh it was an experience. The only the only thing I enjoyed is that uh the guy who plays the Pharaoh. And, and, and the musical, I don't know how familiar you are with Joseph as the musical. Uh, the Pharaoh has like songs that are much more like uh, Elvis inspired. Okay. And so instead of having the Pharaoh dress up like a traditional Pharaoh, we had the guy, the actor that did it. He he loved Elvis and loved the kind of the whole aesthetic. He came out with the white jumpsuit and the pink scarf and he had the the, you know, the big hairdo. <laughs> but they also did the, the Egyptian headdress. Oh, okay. Um, so it was fun because when it, when we had him come out, he had a sarcophagus he come out of, but it was on these risers and it wasn't exactly the most stable. And so I so I doubled as Jacob and a Egyptian guard because that's how small our group was. Oh. And so we um, so as that as Doug, Egyptian guard looks familiar. Yeah, it's like well, he's wearing the same burlap pants. So Doug, who played the character of Pharaoh, was in the sarcophagus, and yeah, I'd hear him talking. He'd just be like, "Guys, you know." I don't you know, know how I feel about this. And I was like, you know, I was like, he's talking about, he's like, if I tip backwards, and I, <laughs> I just told him while he was in the sarcophagus, sarcophagus, I was like, listen, I know what the headline will be. Dead guy found in coffin. <laughs> and it got real quiet. And all I heard Doug say, you think you're funny, don't you? <laughs> so that was my musical experience. That was your musical yeah, experience. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I guess my point that I, I'm making is is that I'm not, I'm not the guy that you go to for your, you know, uh, your musical trivia or uh, you know, somebody who's going to be like first in line at the theater. Like my wife likes musicals. Uh, you know, I mentioned last year we saw Hamilton. Um, 
See, th- that sounds like that's you actually know. a really good show. That's it's a great show. Um, and my wife is going to see it. I got her a ticket for Christmas to see it in Chicago. Oh, I'm nice. going with her, but I'm not going to the show. <laughs> um, not because I wouldn't want to, just because I'm like. Well, with your it, with your experience, I'm sure you'd be like, I could do it better. That's probably. <laughs> it was more about the ticket price and that, like that's fair. Me getting enough out of said show to really justify the price yeah, of the yeah. ticket. So, I'll probably be at like you know a bar near the theater while she's watching Hamilton. You'll be, and then you'll we'll be have spending a... Hamiltons while she's watching Hamilton. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, you know, and, and it's not that I dislike the show. I, I do think it's a phenomenal show, and um, it's really well done. And it, obviously, if you get a chance, the tunes are catchy. But I'm just not that guy that you normally would think of or associate with musicals. And yeah, me too. Like, uh, like very, very much smaller scale. I, I paid. Uh, uh, there was um, a local, like actually, high school group of people that did Avenue Q in the Cleveland area, which if you're not familiar with Avenue Q, it's uh Yeah, we saw that one actually at Playhouse uh like a year or two oh, ago. Oh, we saw it like in, in like Lakewood, like a near west type okay. of thing. And it was fun. Like it was yeah. a good time, right? I can get behind that. Um so yeah, my knowledge of musicals and my appreciation of musicals are very not great. You yeah. Know? So I mean I believe one of the songs in Avenue Q is the internet is for porn. So like <laughs> It's I mean, my kind of musical. Yeah, me so, too. Right, yeah. yeah, and then like and like South Park, the film is a musical. Yeah, uh, Team America in a lot of ways is a musical. So there's things I can appreciate and get behind, you know. So, um, but yeah, um, we talk about so yeah, Catherine Mary Stewart. She didn't do the singing in this. She does have a singing voice. I guess she used it in other films, but it wasn't just for this. So uh, Mary Highland, just to give credit, was the voice of BB as mm-hmm. singing. Uh, George Gilmore is Alfie. His only film, and he just kind of disappeared into obscurity. Like he was the the bohunk that was like I don't know whatever. Um, Grace Kennedy was Pandy. She was the one half of the band at the beginning. Um, that mm-hmm. she ends up having that song later that is all about sex. That's very overt. Um, I still don't get it. um with the weird character turn that doesn't explain anything uh she has five credits in terms of acting one episode of magnum pi so credit there nice uh alan love was dandy he was the british stand-in like heartthrob guy that was the other half of that band uh three acting credits um made an appearance as himself in rockula so gotta check that out um uh josh ackland was uh the hippie leader slash mr tops we'll get to his mr tops later He's probably the most well known of all these guys. Uh, this very established, like you know, uh, British actor. He was in K nineteen, The Widowmaker, and The Hunt for October. So both Harrison Ford submarine movies. I, I don't know why that is a thing. He was in the Mighty Duck Mighty Ducks films, which I've not seen. And Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, Lethal Weapon two. <gasps> oh my god! I just realized who he <laughs> Did is. Did you just wake up? Did you fall asleep? As no, I was no. I'm like you have sleep apnea. You're just like. <laughs> <laughs> He's the villain in Lethal Weapon 2 and Bill and Ted's. I'm like, yeah. I just put that together and I'm like, oh my God. Uh, that was my favorite moment ever <laughs> recording. That was amazing. Uh, he was also in The House of Drip Blood, which is an amicus anthology. So we've been doing, there's been, my life has been surrounded by amicus films recently. So I just wanted to mention that. Yeah. And I, that's one actually that I've wanted to track down. So, yeah. um, uh, Vladik Shibal, who was Boogaloo. Uh, he is most famous for being in Russia and from Russia with love. Makes sense. Um, <clears throat> very, very cool looking guy. Like I, he was when like him being the villain in this, not surprising whatsoever. I liked him in it. I, I and I, I don't want to tip my hand too much, but I will say my favorite character in this movie. Mm-hmm. So, um, Rachel was uh, Shake. 
He was the right-hand man of Boogaloo that had mm-hmm. the, the diamonds on his teeth or the gems. Uh, not much else, but I just like he has charisma, so it's surprising that he didn't do much else. Yeah, I liked I liked his character as well because he was so he was so like um, I don't know, like uh, not um, he was catty at times in a fun way. I just liked his I liked his presence. Yeah. Uh, uh, Miriam Margolis is the landlady. I just want to mention her because she got weirdly sexually assaulted in the film uh, by uh, by Alfie. But she also has a pretty big career. She's in the Harry Potter films. Uh, oh, really? She is uh, Professor Pomona Sprout. Oh. I don't, whatever that is. Uh, I <laughs> I haven't watched them. I saw the first one, but she play. She's in a lot of them. So yeah. it like she's a, like a prominent one of the teachers of Hogwarts, and she was the dent- one of the dental nurses or the dental nurse in Law Shop of Horrors. Like I thought, that's great. As in, like the remake. Or yeah, the as in as, okay. as in the musical of Little Shop of Horrors with uh, with uh, Steve Martin and Rick Moranis. Which, mm-hmm. again, how do you feel about that? I love Little Shop of Horrors. I think that's a fun movie. I haven't seen it in a very long time. Uh, you know, I don't have strong opinions on it. I would need to sit down. You and need to watch it, it again. The movie, it's wonderful. And Steve Martin and that is the dentist. Yeah, it's great. Um, I mean, the thing that I remember most about that is Bill Murray's scene where he yes. doesn't. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's that's great. Um, so uh, she was in that, and she also has done some of the Seth MacFarlane shows. She's been a Family Guy, uh, American Dad, all that stuff. So still working. She's still doing things. Uh, George S. Clinton, which was mentioned, uh, he played Joe Pittman, who was the reporter in the film. We should also point out the fact it's that it's not the same George Clinton. Yeah. yeah, he's not. He's not a member of the Parliament, Parliament Funkadelic. Yeah, um, yeah. So n- he's mainly known as a composer. Yeah. So I just want to bring this up. Uh, he has 97 composer credits. Wow. Um, he's still working. Uh, his he's most known. His probably most famous is um, Austin Powers, by uh, the original Man, Man, Man of Mystery, the first film. Okay. Uh, but he's he but look like so. I'm going to name some stuff that he's done. You're going to be like, oh, so he did some composing for Mortal Kombat, the film. Um, Mortal Kombat didn't do that part. Oh. Uh, but it's like, what else did he do here? Um, he Austin Powers, Spy Shagged Me. I'm sure there's some like you know themes there. Three thousand miles to Graceland, uh, not a memorable movie by any stretch. Santa Claus Two, oh, um, Electric Boogaloo, Big Mama House, Big Mama's House Two, The Santa Claus Three, The Escape Clause. Um, what else? The Love Guru, Harold and Kumar Escape from Guantanamo Bay. So like this guy, like he he has a career composing, but it's like. They're like, oh, we need we need somebody for this film. Well, yeah. no one else is available. We're gonna get George Clinton, George S. Clinton. Um, whatever. I mean, dude, dude's making a living making making uh, music, right? Like, for goodness' sake. So, like, when we talked about From Beyond, <clears throat> there's the the composer for that. I don't remember that guy's name, but he was very happy to make music for those like that level of movie. Yeah. You know, so good on him. You know, what the astronaut's wife? Like, he's done uh, Black Dog. Was that is that the Patrick Swayze film? Black Dog. I think it is with the trucking. Yeah, the trucker. Ex-truck driver Jack Cruz, uh, Patrick Swayze, has just been released from prison for vehicular manslaughter involving a truck, I'm sure, after losing control and hitting a stranded motorist. Okay, Is I got there any arm wrestling in that movie? Because maybe we could uh, fit it into he, an episode. Uh, he's hunting down Lincoln Hawks. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you can see, you know, he went on to do stuff, right? So that's, that's cool. And he actually wrote... With translating the lyrics, he wrote a lot of the actual lyrics for the film The Apple. And that's the last person I've listed. I'm sure there's all these other people that are in it, but whatever. So, um, yeah, that's your cast. Um, you know, Menachem Golan, we're going to talk about a lot, I'm sure, as we go forward. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Steve, what's The Apple about? Uh, 
The Apple <laughs> We're is, 30 minutes in. I was like, this isn't going to be long, and I'm just dragging this out. Uh, so the Apple essentially is a morality tale about the evils of corporate sort of I, not corporate's not the right word uh, i guess of the music industry um yeah. and or just creative uh, creation in general you yeah, know, like, yeah um told through the lens of a uh i was gonna say an opera but not an, a musical um playing on the theme of adam and eve yeah so uh, it's a story and we've talked uh, we mentioned the characters here initially bb Catherine Mary stewart and uh, alfie george gilmore so the whole thing starts off and i don't want to go point for point for this because the movie veers wildly from like plot point to plot point and sometimes forgets what has happened previously like it's a weird animal of a film but it's them so at the beginning we have actually we have pandy um and dandy is that's their name yeah they were performing a song called do the bim Yes. Which we, BIM is kind of, it's this thing. So it's the future of 1994, right? So we're two years away from Escape from New York. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like to think that the collapse of Bookaloo <laughs> International Music is what led to the police state that is, you know, Staten Island. <laughs> for, that'd be amazing, right? So, um, it, the, or it caused the uh, nuclear fallout that happens in the Terminators 1997. Or the Bronx Warriors in 1990. <laughs> like, I like to think that the Bronx. 1990 Bronx Warriors is existing in the Bronx still while this is going on. So no, like so in this future, um, it seems like a lot of the world is driven by entertainment in the sense that if with Boogaloo International Music, aka BIM, is like the most popular commodity, everybody's all about BIM, yeah. right? So the thing all starts off with this like what they call World Vision like music contest. It's like American Idol. It is, which is funny that you say that. I don't know if you know the connection between like these no. shows. And like so, like so, you think you can dance and all that. The guy who did the choreography for this film ended up doing a lot of those competition shows that are now known. Like, um, so you think you can dance at American Idol and all that. So he has a, a pedigree. It's okay. funny that th those shows came out of the ashes of the Apple. Um, but so there's a thing actually called. Um, I looked this up. Uh, the it's World Vision's based off something called Eurovision, which you might be familiar with a little bit. There's the Eurovision Song Contest that happens every year. So there's like a number one song picked every year in Europe that could be from any of the countries over there. This you might know this mainly because in '74, ABBA won the Eurovision contest with Waterloo. Okay, and that's what kind of launched ABBA. So, because you know how big of an ABBA fan, but you you know ABBA, you know, like I mean, <laughs> my point is, is that this World Vision competition is directly modeled after something that happened in, in Europe. And no, it's it, just funny because it felt like you were referencing like I had some sort of love for ABBA. You're like, you may know this because well, of your knowing love for me, ABBA. knowing you, I know you love ABBA. So you know. And I know you're just a dancing queen, <laughs> seventeen or whatever. Uh, so, um, it's a lot of this is kind of based on things that have existed. And so, this World Vision like competition, where half people are wearing orange jumpsuits like it's prison. Yeah. I don't know what was going on there. Um, you have the people. You have Dandy and uh, Pandy doing this "Do the Bim" song that's really popular. Has a uh, like I guess a uh, group heart rate rate of 150. I don't know how they're assessing this. Um, you know, watching the crowd. Um, and then you have you know the main characters of the film come out with uh, with Alfie and BB 
coming out singing like their Carpenters-esque song about love and unity and how at first the crowd doesn't like it, but then slowly but surely they're winning over the crowd and they're actually getting a better response than do the BIM. Uh, and then uh, Mr. Boogaloo's like, nope, we're going to screw this up so they don't win this competition. And, and, and yeah, they kibosh their career, just turn around and assign them to a contract. Yeah, yeah. their uh, their song that they sing uh, very much reminded me of like the songs Greg Brady was trying to write in the Brady Bunch movies. <laughs> Time to change. <laughs> you know, um, that's well, that's from the show. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's like so. But this whole thing of like you get this notion that their style of music is supposed to be outdated and whatever. But the bigger thing is that the BIM and the the Boogaloo mu- uh, International Music thing is like it's like the I don't know, the overall reaching, like, governing body of everything? Yeah, it gets fuzzy where government and actually uh, Boogaloo... Yeah. Uh, what does it stand for? It's Boogaloo... International Music. International Music. Um, where the two meet and whether they're the exact same identity or not. Um, because later on in the film, there will be some references to basically them, like, controlling... Like, there's... And I, I know it's just a reason for a, a musical sequence, but like, it, it's like four twenty um, <laughs> instead of like you know getting high and sitting on your couch. It's it's BIM it's, hour. Yeah, it's BIM hour, it's and like mandatory BIMing. And even if you're uh, working on uh, a fire as a fireman, you have to stop <laughs> doing what you're doing and uh, start dancing. So, I, so I will say that not a lot of the jokes in the movie worked for me, but the notion that during BIM hour. You stop all activity and and dance to do the BIM. Yeah, I love the firefighter stopping like fighting the fire, and I love the people in the emergency room not working on the patient. But then the patient gets up, like he 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 sits up and is trying to do the BIM. Yeah, and then you see him like fade away. It's it's it's, it's it, oh you know what I'm we haven't even played the trailer for this. Uh, but you guys we should play this for you now before we go into the whole BIM thing. But I love it's in the actual trailer if you watch it. You see him just collapse on the table. And it's a joke, and it's a good joke. I like that whole thing of like, all right, I guess we're all stopping what we're doing. We're doing the BIM. So it very much feels like if it was in a Simpsons episode, it would have been right at home. <laughs> would have been great, along with the cars. We'll talk about that in a second. Now, you know what? We're gonna play the Apple trailer. I know it's been forty minutes, and you guys are like, "What is this movie about?" This is gonna give you a taste of the music and the taste of the tone. Uh, but tuck in. It's like two minutes of weird music. Um, if I could find the button, here it is. In 1994, the world is controlled by one power. The apple is success. There ain't no pride. There ain't no shame. There ain't no sympathy. The Apple brings you everything. What about happiness? I wanted to release Phoebe from a contract. Cheers. Where is she? Oh, me. 
The apple is the temptation. The apple is the experience. Take the apple! Whoa! Push the apple! Apple is the forbidden fruit. Come and take me and shake me and mow me and make me and fill me up with your fire. Come do anything to me. Your little heart desires. Ooh, I've never been so high in my life. Baby, I must see. I gotta talk to you. The apple. Takes your soul. New York to LA. Everybody does it her way. Popping power by the hour. Speed. I can feel the earth start waking. When America starts shaking. Popping power by the hour. Speed. Speed. Now. Special experience in movie-going entertainment. The Apple. Wasn't it worth the forty-minute wait just to get there? I think, yeah. It is a special movie-going experience. Um, yeah. So, um, I don't, I don't, how do we? So the big thing, the big conflict of the of the whole story is that with this BIM driven future where you even find out like there's like, you know, mandatory BIM workout, like listening to the music and, and that Boogaloo international music runs the world in a way. Yes. Um, that there's even a, like a thing where like early in the film, Mr. Boogaloo, um, again, we mentioned that was by, uh, what did I call him? Um, cut rate. Uh, what did I call him before Peter the show? Cushing? Yeah. He looks like kind of cut rate Peter Cushing. And that's not, a, that's not an insult. Like he, looks like in passing if you were like close one eye and cover the other it's like that's peter cushing and you can tell that he you know he knows what kind of movie he was in and i loved i loved him in it you know but uh he also looks like a younger mr burns like yeah that's that's totally fair um so the whole thing is that after crushing you know the competition he ends up trying to sign uh bb and alfie to um a contract and bb is like starstruck and 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 enamored by all this and alfie kind of he has a vision a vision of hell that it's like this is if we sign this contract we're signing over our lives um and taking a bite of the apple and so it becomes a story, kind of. It gets weird, uh, where it's it's BB off to this like s- uh, super success of being a, a BIM star, and Alfie like living in like a um, almost a homeless shelter, shelter, aka the landwoman's apartment. Like I don't know what was going on with the landlady, but he was yeah. there. He groped her weirdly. She gave him soup. It was odd. Like, like suddenly and aggressively groping. I don't know what was going on with that. We we're watching almost like, and she was like, oh, I'm okay with this. It's like, well, I mean, if you, if you're okay with it, I guess it's okay. I don't know. But maybe she had like the same deal as, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, oh, I hate when I bring up a point and then can't think of what I was going to say, uh, in Kingpin, uh, Woody Harrelson's character oh, yeah. with the landlady. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you don't have the rent for me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Ugh, I don't want to think about that, but uh, but yeah. So then it becomes this whole thing of like it's a parallel story between like Alfie, you know, not he, he still has integrity as an artist, and BB has sold out, but she's a pop star, 
and the influence of, of Boogaloo and the corrupting influence and his control. Um, that all sounds like that makes sense, but the movie just kind of shifts back and forth. And then, as weird as it is, it gets even weirder in like the last 10 minutes and then it ends. You know, like, well, I think what's interesting is, is that I'm never quite sure what the conflict's supposed to be for Baby because she seems to be enjoying all of it. There's never a moment that, like, she pines for Alfie, like, sporadically and without, like, just like it just happens. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, when I think of, um, similar tales, like, usually when somebody signs over their soul, like, there's consequences for it. Like, what she's experiencing doesn't seem. Like it's not like there's anything hellish happening to her, other no. than like she's super popular and famous. Uh, and so there's there's the song um, was how to be a master that's sung by uh, Mr. Boogaloo. It's it's more, it's it's a, it's not a great song, but it there that's probably the most effective storytelling in the film because it's him talking about how he manipulates and knows how to be a master while you see BB going through her regiment to become a pop star, mm-hmm. and it's actually. Say what you want about Menachem Golan as like you know as a storyteller, he had some functional, like like um, film ideas. Like he could direct certain scenes and get some points across. Like and it might just be the editor like stringing it all together, but he set up some interesting ideas in that segment of her doing the dance studio stuff, her working out and doing like the crunches while while uh, Mr. Boogaloo and Pandy and Dandy are like all on the exercise bikes. Yeah, there, there's some fun stuff to be had there, and it's like the song goes through as him talking about being the master while they're in the recording studio. Like I, I liked that sequence. Well, the the point that I'm making is is that yeah, I don't know sorry. that for her arc it it really like I never get the sense of other than pining for uh um Alfie. you know Elfie, you know, there's never really anything no. There's more no there's than, no point where you would expect the story to be like, Oh, you're all you're all used up. We're kicking you to the side for the, the new hotness, the new the new bimness. Yeah. You know, we never get that with her. Like she her rise to fame is so it's so immediate. Yes. That like it is like, oh, all right, then like they go from signing the contract because that's the joke. We talked about that earlier where before she even signed the contract, they're already doing costume fitting. They already had a tour in place and they're like, we haven't even recorded the album. It's like, don't worry, we'll make it later. Like it's all a joke and it, but it all kind of feels right in the sense yeah. of like how the stuff stuff kind of happens. Yeah. You know? And I imagine that's how boy bands came to arise in the late eighties. Well, no, no kidding. You're like that's that's the truth, right? Like, there's a lot of that where it's like we have the image, we just got to find the right face to do it, right? So, well, actually, even before that, like, uh, you know, a little personal information about me. Even though I've talked about like I'm into heavy metal and Metallica and stuff like that, um, I grew up. I was into the Monkees. And that's talk actually about very much, six, yeah, 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 like that was literally like them going and finding four guys and being like, hey, we're making a television show that's going to have music in it and we're going to prepackage this and kids are going to eat it up. Do you remember the movie That Thing You Do? Yeah. The, like, so the, the the band in that was called The Wonders or The Oneaters. <laughs> yeah. um, that had, oh, oh what's his name? Um, oh, guy who's in all Tom the, Hanks. Tom Hanks is the director, but he was also the A&R guy, right? Like the guy who was behind, like signing the band. It had uh, Jason Schwartzman, um, some other people in it, but they all, they actually all, with the exception of Steve Zahn, I think they all knew how to play instruments. Mm-hmm. So Jason Schwartzman actually could play the drums. So they, they, they found actors to do this, but the whole joke was we're going to put a band together and we're going to sell these, like these singles and kind of be like this boy, like Beatles knockoff. But they, 
still in the way kind of actually created some type of buzz because the actors involved actually had musical talent. And I know with the monkeys, it's like they did, but they had to refine them, you yeah. know, to get them to where they are. So yeah, that makes sense. Like there's another band that I love called blue cheer. That was all just studio experiment. Like the, like the band kept changing members with the exception of like one guy. And they're like, Oh no, no, this is popular right now. Make this type of rock music. Mm-hmm. And so like their, their identity shifted from album to album, just try to hit. You know, like, so that, 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 that feels right to me. Like yeah. with Mr. Boogaloo being like, we, we're going to just, this is what we have, you know? So I didn't mind that. And even, even the allegory of the apple, which is talking about like the biblical allegory of Adam and Eve, you know, like taking the temptation from the snake, mm-hmm. which the character of shake literally is dressed up as a snake at one point. Like yeah. he's two shades away from being a GI Joe villain, you know, like, <laughs> from, from, from the hood that he's wearing. Of the I Cobra, desperately now want an action figure of him, him as yeah. the, uh, and Mr. Boogaloo as, a, <laughs> yeah. which by the way, like it, it kept bugging my wife. I kind of liked it when they showed him as the devil with the one horn. Yeah. That felt like, it was like a conscious like fashion decision, which is the devil would be vain. Like I kind of like that. I kind of like some of the costuming in this too. So here, here's the thing that I took away from the costuming, and you you brought up something about uh, Menachem that I want to get back to in a minute. But uh, the costuming, like yes, from our perspective, it's easy to be like, oh, look at how cheesy all of that is. But and I I, I don't mean this as a slam against like David Bowie, but if you took Ziggy Stardust and threw him in there, I don't think visually it would be that different. I agree. Uh, like, and, uh, so it, it's... It's very much of what that... I, I feel like the people that brought... like They, they brought what they could to this production. Yeah. So like, in terms of costuming, like, they're, like um, so... Spoiler, I, I ended up buying a Blu-ray copy of this movie because it's just not available to find a stream. Yeah. So I let Steve borrow it and he probably like he's probably like, You owe me money. I'd be like, but no, no, I let you borrow it for free. <laughs> um and um Kathy Marion Stewart actually does a little bit of like there's a 40-minute interview and she talks about how she's talking about her um like recollections of the cast and how she feels like a lot of them actually had influence on their costuming. And that that's, that makes sense. Like if they look at their character and try to get down to what makes this character work Mm -hmm. and they went to costuming and was like, I want this look. There's some fun ideas to be had in here. And it's not that much different when we talk about Rocky horror, it's not that far off and it's not that far off from Ziggy Stardust. It's just that I feel like the costuming isn't the problem in this film. Because uh, if you would shore up the rest of it, you probably wouldn't think twice about it. Yeah. Like, like the character of Shake is always kind of out there with his gems on his teeth and always has the glitter. And it's like, well, that's late 70s, early 80s to a T of excess. I'm fine with that. You know, or like Saturday nights at my house. Yeah, right. Like, you know, just got to bust out the glitter and the gym teeth. You know, that's what happens. But like and, and even with like, you know, with Mr. Boogaloo being the devil, like it's it's. I, I was okay with all of that. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. But so, so, um, so the imagery is okay. And you get the notion that this is supposed to be like, if you take a bite from the apple, you will get all the knowledge and, and, but you'll also get the burden and consequence, which you said BB doesn't really get that. She doesn't. No. And so I, I agree. Like she doesn't really the narrative suffer. falls flat in that sense. It does. Uh, Alfie's kind of kicked to the curb because he's the one to stand up to it. But he doesn't bite the apple, but he's the one that suffers the, the consequence of right. it. But you know, whatever, it's it's loosely based. And so there's a lot of this that was probably more intact before Menachem Golan got a hold of it and actually, you know, started changing it because he always wanted to inject more comedy into it and more, 
I don't know what you would think would appeal to American audiences, like you said. So uh, even the people that wrote the original story said that they felt like it was going in kind of a corny direction. Mm-hmm. They are probably right, but they were still involved in the production for the most part. They were constantly battling him for tone and uh, and content, and they felt that they had a kindred spirit with George S. Clinton because they felt like at least he knew songwriting, so yeah. they could at least have a conversation about songs. Because there's actually a number of songs that were developed for this that were not included in the film because of either they weren't shot or they were shot and the sequences were so poorly done that they weren't included in the film. Um, I don't know how much you've read about that whole thing. Um, Cause I have some doozies I, that I want to drop some knowledge bombs on you later. You're going to laugh your ass off. About. I did. I, I mean, I did a little bit of research, but in my head, I've been trying to frame the conversation as far as like, <sighs> Okay, so just to take a step backwards, you know, yeah. with our episode last week discussing our revisiting of The Shining, you know, we both came out of it of like, oh, it's a masterfully made film that doesn't appeal to either of us. Um, at least that's where I feel like we landed. Um, how dare you quote me correctly on how I feel about something? <laughs> but, you know, looking at this film, and this is what I, the point I wanted to make about Golan, is that, you know, there's nothing that I can point to at least visually or in the sense of like okay so the film itself has choreography it's got it's got um lot, scenes with large groups of extras it's got scope it's it's very some cinematic of the movements are really nice right like, i like some of the sequencing and it's it's like how do i i think there's an interesting conversation and you know the more we dig into either lesser known movies or even when we revisit movies like The Shining that just didn't hit us in the way that it hits other people. I think it's an interesting, you know, conversation to say, well, what's good and what's bad? Like what, you know, because it's not like it's a poorly directed film. Like there's, there's, and maybe it's, like you said, editing. Maybe it's, you know, he had a, a cinematographer. Maybe there's enough people there to kind of shore up what might have been his um um shortfalling shortcomings mm. uh but again like there's nothing that i can really say like you know as far as it's a very cinematic musical like it 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 does what it says in the sense that it's a movie and you know i i think of you know somebody like Kevin Smith's first film, Clerks. You know he always talks about like, oh, that movie looks like garbage, da da da. And I know that it's it's self-effacing jokes, and it's, but that's part of the charm of that movie is the way it looks. Yeah, it's shaggy. Yeah, but it's like, but he was able to take like the comedy of it still works because the dialogue and interactions. Right. I mean, that's but it's the very much a stationary to shot for shot, reaction reaction, move on. And that, but still, kind of like the writing elevated that film, right? So you're right. Like he learned a lot from it. Like I don't. What's your favorite Kevin Smith film? Uh, it's Chasing Amy. I, Dogma for me. Okay. I feel like Dogma is most is his most complete, and it's also reaching for the brass ring, and I think it grabs it. Chasing Amy's really good. Like don't get me wrong. I think it's just from a, it's his most like probably true to self movie he's made. But Dogma, it's like. It's a ridiculous concept, and I think he pulls it off well. Yeah, and, and it's it's the most confident mm-hmm. I've seen him as a filmmaker. But when I look at you know the film, the Apple, I should say, when I look at the Apple, you know, there was nothing really there that I could like grasp onto, mm-hmm. and you know, point to it like, oh, you know, uh, this shot is poorly lit, or you know, half of it's out of focus, or you know, like 
again, there could be a lot of other parties who are more talented than he was that may be covering for whatever his shortcomings are. But as a director, I can't really fault him. You know, he he may not be a good writer, and maybe that because he did do a rewrite of the script or he did another draft of it after the two finished it was my understanding. Mm -hmm. And, you know, perhaps he just wasn't good at like constructing narrative, but like technically, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. I mean, he had to be reined in. There was a gentleman, I don't have his his name in the notes here, but there was somebody that was supposed to be like the intermediate between him and the people that, uh, that created the story of a Kobe wrecked and Irish wrecked that, that he, this person, I forget their name. It fails me. I'm sorry. I have so many notes, but that's not the one person. He started souring with uh, Menachem's like relationship on set, and there was a bit where he said, "Hey, that's out of focus," and they almost got into a fist fight. Wow! <laughs> like there's a whole bit where it's like you know, so, but overall, he like Menachem Golan had made so many movies to this point that like film, no matter what you can say about this, film is an expensive medium to shoot on. Yeah. So you have to know how to get through a scene. So with that being said though, um, with the way this movie takes a hard right turn in the last 10 minutes, um, of, of what happens Yes. in terms of this, this is a very much a biblical allegory. You have the devil, the devil tempting BB and, and all this. And then, um, there's a whole thing where she ends up meeting with Alfie later amongst a hippie camp with like the King of hippies, which, they're hippies kind of i feel like they're i feel like someone described hippies to monaco and and he was like sure they're around fires that will not be put out in a park like it's this weird did you notice that when all the people left it's like someone should put out those fires that's bad that's a bad idea (laughs) Uh, but then like they're visited by mr tops um who is god himself and he is it's the rapture in essence that he saves the good people the hippies and he makes them carries them off uh, he makes them walk into heaven because he's driving this like really nice car, like that shows up in the sky. Yeah, it's, it's, like, the, it's when he says he dr- he drives up. No, it's he a sky flies car. Up, it fl- yeah. it's, a, it's like some kind of like nice Lincoln or Cadillac or yeah. something. And God walks out of it, Mister Tops, God, and he's like, "You've all done good. Let's go." And it's like there's no precedent in the film for Mister Tops showing up, and like un- un- until five seconds before where Alfie's like. Mr. Tops is coming. It's like, you've not talked about Mr. Tops this entire time. There's yeah. a reason for that. And I'll tell you why. You're going to laugh. Okay, because that that is absolutely like, uh, for no reason, he mentions Mr. Tops. Yeah. And you're like, okay, who's Mr. Tops? So, so and why would we care? According to uh, Joss Auckland, who was the guy who was Mr. Tops slash uh, the Hobo King, he was pretty ripped for being like the leader of the hippies, by the way. For an older guy, yeah. he was pretty buff. I got a ri- not, not like a six pack, but I'm like, I don't want to tussle with that guy. He's going to cut me with a broken bottle. Uh, he said Heaven's was three, Heaven was three quarters of the script. Uh, it was the whole point of the movie. Cutting out most of the story's Heaven aspects, including the Paradise Day scene, which I'll talk about in a second, uh, where Golan's methods of not going too extreme with religious undertones in order for the film to be more acceptable. So there was this whole notion of Heaven that was going to be leading the film off here. Here's one bit that I'm going to tell you. You're going to be like, what, what's going on here? So, um, <laughs> uh, conflicts between Golan and Rekt. So the people that developed the story took place when filming started, Rekt was still in London, mixing the songs and Golan constantly made phone calls, demanding him to be at the shoots in Berlin. When he went to Berlin to go to the shooting location, the first thing he saw was Golan filming the uncut paradise day sequence, which was the, the beginning of the film. 
He was shooting this part that never ended up on the screen because it was terrible. It was terrible. There was like 15 dinosaurs on set. I couldn't believe my eyes. The scene, um, they talked about how this was being filmed and how, um, what was it? Uh, Josh Acklin, who portrayed Mr. Topps, recalled that the scene consisted of um, a combination of both real and phony animals. He put phony in quotes. And the Mr. Topps character was in a crevice making Alfie, making Alfie, like creating man, and singing the song Creation. Multiple problems occurred shooting the sequence, such as the dinosaur pieces falling down, a tiger running from the set. Oh, my God. (laughs) The uncut scene also involved Mr. Topps and the devil character played by Mr. Boogaloo uh, doing a dance together, which involved Boogaloo actor uh, Vladik Shubal falling into a river. So the notion that this whole thing would – I – I want to see footage of people and these horrible dinosaur prosthetics or like these, like these dinosaurs in the background. I want to see them falling apart. I want to see God and the devil dancing. And I want to see a tiger just running free from the set. <laughs> this, co- this is $1 million of their $10 million budget that never got used in the film. Wow. And it's one of those things that had the song been at the beginning, it may have informed the end of the film. Yeah. But it's not there because it was unusable. Oh, man. (laughs) I take back everything that I said, apparently. Where'd the tiger go? (laughs) There's a tiger that was loose in Europe (laughs) that they just never found. Um, So I just thought you might appreciate that. Uh, So I know we're kind of jumping around the story. What did you think of the aesthetic of 1994, the future? So (laughs) um, it it was interesting. um, And I've mentioned this on our Facebook uh, on our Facebook page but uh, the design of all the vehicles felt very much this similar to the episode of The Simpsons where Homer finds out he's got a brother who, Herbert Powell of yes, Powell Motors who who designs cars and lets Homer design a car the Homer and it's it looks like literally all the cars were designed by Homer Simpson and what I, I think is interesting about it is is that like if you look at the design of the cars, like it was like somebody was like, "Here's some money, go buy some crap and throw it on a car." And like there are horns for no reason. On... All the cars have bubbles, like bubble yeah. domes. Which I mean, if you guys had bothered <clears throat> to look at the blog I posted for the year of the knockoff for the film, um, uh, the new warrior, not new warriors. Where's the wasteland? All the cars there had bubble tops. Okay, and that wasn't released too far after this, before this film. I feel like it's a European vision of what happened in the future that every car had to have a bubble roof. Because uh, I was watching this, I was like, "Holy crap!" This is so everything had bubbles. They had like extra angles and handles. The motorcycles all were square. Like it was this weird. Like no one thought forward of the future. They just thought of what would be like interesting. Yeah, and. It's it's very odd in the sense that uh, when you think about um, cars and films, whenever they try to design either a car that's of the future or um, a car that's been augmented. Um, so a great example of that is is the DeLorean and Back to the Future. Like the changes that are made to the car makes sense because you're like, oh, it's a time machine. That's what it looks like. Yeah, and it's a car from '84 that just has tech attached to right. it. Right. But this feels like somebody just like glued garbage to a car, and I, 
<laughs> and when I say garbage, I mean it doesn't look I, I mean, like you could tell that they the people put effort into this. Yeah. I just don't think that they thought like I mean there so, doesn't seem like a functionality to, to what be they're fair, adding to the, the cars. The '80s car, like when you go into the '80s auto market, like things were getting more angled and yeah. more like squared off. So maybe that's what they thought was the the natural evolution, right? So do you do you remember like Mustangs from the '80s? They look like they they looked like little. They look like escorts. They don't look yeah. like Mustangs. Like they had that like that severe angle. Like what well, they weren't eighties cars. I mean, people are gonna prove me wrong. They weren't pretty. Like they were just like squared off, right? So, <laughs> and it, you want to talk about like future cars that don't make sense? Look at Time Cop. Those things are just like hobo machines running around the future. So, like I can see why they did this, but it was like they leaned into it. Like it was just like. How many more bubbles can we pull on something? I don't know, seven? Like, it just felt what it felt like. So, like, at the end, when you had, like, the ambulances and the emergency vehicles, I'm like, yeah. why are there six bubbles on top of that? Like, are they making people stand up in the ambulance or the police, like, paddy wagon so they can look out the ceiling? Like, none of it made sense. The police riot gear with their square shields, as cool as they looked, didn't make sense. Right. Um, well, like I'm, the motorcycles, how they're squared off, and the 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 speed section where she's singing, yeah, the, like where BB singing the song "Speed." They just look like you know police motorcycles that are squared off on the edges. It's a weird look, but it feels it feels like how is something dated but also futuristic at the same time. That's the Apple. Yeah, I mean, you know, another good example of that is, uh, uh, and this goes even beyond the car itself because their whole. Um, shtick was, you know, that they were sort of kit bashing or putting together uh, other technology to build things. But like the original Ghostbusters, the Ectomobile, all the stuff that's on top of the car, you don't even know what it's supposed to be. But you get the idea it's but, older hearse and it's, it's, it's yeah. been modded. Yeah. yeah. Um, and same with like their proton packs and like even the the um, headpiece that uh, Rick Moranis wears at one point where they're scanning his head is literally a colander with wires <laughs> attached to it, you know, but you buy it like there's yeah. a functionality to it that you can like almost buy by that reality and i i feel like that's what's lacking at least in those designs in the apple yeah, yeah it, it um, is it's like there's something about it that i love but i also despise right like it's, um because watching the movie it was just like i got it's like these cars are so amazing but it's like they <laughs> don't make any bad. sense they don't make sense at all yeah it, it's it's almost oh. like if somebody was like hey draw me a, or like giving a piece of paper to a, like a five-year-old and saying draw me a car you get the homer that's yeah. what you get um Side note: I have I have a tiny Homer Matchbox car at my desk at work. Like it's amazing. Like they actually released as a Matchbox. Nice. So I have a Homer. So <laughs> I have I have half the cars from the Apple at my at my desk. Um, so that that's that's interesting. And then also there's this whole notion that BIM isn't just a music thing. It's also like a way of life. Um, there's this whole thing like at the beginning where I really thought that was Biff. That was like the marketing manager. It looked a little bit like Biff from Back to the Future, where okay. it's like we need we need merch, and he was like, "What about glasses?" It's like, but they're just like weird triangle glasses. They don't have anything about the word BIM on them, but they're BIM glasses. Okay, then you got to do all this BIM stuff, and then there's BIM marks, which are these little triangles of like reflective like material that you have to wear on your forehead or your cheek, which you guys can't see right now. I made Steve a BIM mark. He's putting on his forehead. I have one on my cheek right now. So whatever we're wearing BIM marks. And if you don't have a BIM mark visible in public, you get a ticket. Like, yeah. And what's weird too is, is that like, Alfie didn't get it. He got a ticket cause he wasn't wearing a BIM mark. What's weird about that too is, is that you get them at the post office. Like you're yeah. supposed to go and buy stamps and yeah. your BIM marks and your BIM marks. Yeah. <laughs> So it's this whole thing where it's like, it looks like BIM is like totalitarian, like, but at the same time, it's, I don't know. It's this whole, it's one of those things where you feel like 
uh, Menachem like trying to tell the story had this idea in his head. Yeah. And then he was trying to tell it, but because the pieces that they maybe they shot that weren't usable, or he had a story in his head that didn't maybe it didn't quite make sense, but it was his vision. He just put it out there because there's this things in this film where you feel like there's thought put here. I don't know what that thought is, but it's there. Yeah. And it's it's an oddball thing. Like, um, I don't know. Like it's it, like and then also like the 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 um, fluid sexuality that just that goes through the whole movie. Like, I, again, it's a musical. You can tell the story that you want to make, but it's like the beginning. BB's like uh, seduced by um, like uh, what's his name? I don't know the one British guy. And I really thought that was the end of the relationship with her and Alfie. But yeah. somehow they're still a couple. Like in the next scene, like all right, that doesn't make sense. But it's nineteen eighty four. Maybe things are different. I don't know. But and then later, the whole orgy song scene yeah and what i don't understand about that is is like i don't understand its purpose in the film like <laughs> but the I early part or the orgy part the, the orgy part <laughs> because it's it's alfie who's seduced yeah so alfie tries to come back he he, he has in his head that he's to rescue bb from this contract from bogaloo so he goes in to try to like rescue it like this ivory tower type yeah. situation and he's drugged and he starts tripping out and having distorted, like, which, by the way, that was creepy. Like, the way they shot the whole distorted, like, viewpoint of him, mm-hmm. that worked. I, yeah. I, I thought that was really effective. But then it becomes this whole, like, thing where uh, Pandy is seducing him, and she has this whole song that she has. And they end up just having sex on a bed, but, like, there's, like, eight other beds, and people just, like, you know, you know what's going on. I They're all wearing the title like, of the song is I'm Coming For You. <laughs> Um, I don't know what that means, but yeah, that's I, yeah. the name of the song. Um, but again, narratively, like it doesn't really do anything for the story. Like, yeah, he he gets seduced by her, and then his big plan is is he goes to find BB after that, and BB's with uh, Dandy. Yeah, and for some reason, she I guess she's been drugged as well. She yeah. doesn't recognize him. I don't know why. Um, but then his plan after that is like, I'm just going to go leave and live with some hippies. Yeah. But so then like immediately right after that, uh, Pandy feels remorse. Yeah. And then at first I thought it was her just trying to drive a wedge between her and BB to show like, Oh, whatever. But then it's like, she honestly felt bad that she had sex with her, with BB's boyfriend the night before. And they have this whole emotional song. And I'm like, Oh, like the entire time I'm like, she's playing, she's playing this whole angle. Yeah. Nope. She felt remorse. It doesn't make sense. It's not set up. <laughs> and then, cause at the point there's a duet between her, like she's singing like this balcony. And then, um, uh, BB's like walking through like central Hobo park, Town. Hobo town. And they're like, they're like singing, like they're, they're trading off like verses. Yeah. And it's like, and I, I started the lyric of like, and we slept with the same guy. <laughs> I didn't say slept with because I lyrically I had to go with the F word. And it's like, it's like, well, all right, well, I guess you guys are Eskimo sisters. It's fine. But it just felt like there was a weird thing that just happened. And it was like, but then BB's like upset, but, but like Alfie also, I don't know. It's like everybody slept with everybody. It just felt like. I think I think um, I think the scoreboard's been scrubbed. You just start over again. Like I don't know. Yeah, and what's more interesting too is is that like uh, once once BB returns to Hobo Town and like <laughs> that should be the name of the movie, not the Apple. BB comes to Hobo Town, the musical. Uh, we then cut forward like a year. 
Yeah, but and it doesn't say that. It doesn't like no. the only way you know that is because uh, he's Alf got a has beard. a beard and they have a kid, and that kid is older than a year. Yeah. And it's like what but the one thing I'll appreciate is they're singing this child of light song. It gets stopped because <laughs> uh the Bim and Forcer show up and I love how like the the movie actually is like, Oh, we're done singing now. Like it was like <laughs> it was this great moment of like I thought that was like kind of a meta break in, but it's like, Whoa, you had a kid, but your kid it's like you're but if it's been a year later, your kid should be only three months old, right? right. Like, but your kid is like, he looks like he weighs twenty five pounds. I don't know, <laughs> like, unless in in you know Apple World, kids grow fast. I don't know, but then it's like it suddenly takes that turn, and then that's whenever they're like, oh, we got to arrest you because you owe Bim ten million dollars for reasons. And then Alfie's like, Mister Tops is coming, and then God shows up and his space Cadillac, and they all walk away, and that's the end of the movie. Like, it doesn't make sense. Like a quarter of the way through the film, I had to pause it because I had to use the restroom because it was so exciting that all my you being, just couldn't, I just couldn't take it, it. You know, um, I looked at my wife and I was like, you know, this isn't great, but I don't, I don't know when the wheels are going to fall off, and I hope the wheels don't fall off. The wheels fell off. Like yeah. it just, it goes to this point. It's like okay, they're just trying to reach an emotional climax, and it's like ten minutes, and we're done with the end of the movie. Like it just stops, and it's like bizarre like and not that i'm saying i was having a good time but i could appreciate what they were doing and until that point where it's like all right i guess the movie's over we're done good night like it's what it felt like yeah to me. um you know i don't i i keep referencing the simpsons but it feels a little bit like the poochie episode it does where it's suddenly like i just, have to go i have to go back to my own planet <laughs> it, now yeah, yeah it just abruptly ends yeah um but you know, on the subject, and one of the things that we really haven't talked about is the music. Like, yeah. you know, how did you feel about the music? Because I was expecting something far worse, I'll put it that way. No, because the, the first opening sequence of Do the Bim, which, yeah. I mean, spoiler, um, I'm just going to throw this out here, you guys, so. Do you know why they are called spoilers? You might have to do the Bim at the end of the episode. So, <laughs> um, I... As, as dumb as the lyrics are, which again, it's it's a problem with translation. That music was kind of great. Like yeah. I kind of was all about that. Um, the whole like kind of doo-woppy seduction song in the uh, the garden area at the beginning with BB and um, Alan Ladd, the British guy. That wasn't bad. The bite the apple. Yeah. The, well, the, well, the bit before he's offering her the drugs and he kisses okay. her and and. He's trying to drive a wedge between him and Alfie. That wasn't a bad song. The Bite the Apple, kind of weird, but I get it. You know, like, I liked it because it was so insane. Like, yeah. There's literally a point where, for no reason at all, he's like, and maybe there's a vampire. And, and then, then a vampire, vampire shows up. up. It's like, all right, I guess that's... <laughs> I guess. Yeah, sure. You couldn't um, find another word to yeah, rhyme. Yeah, so. right. Uh, so that one, it was just fun because like they leaned into it so much. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know how to be a master with uh, you know Mr. Boogaloo talking. It's not a great song, but it's an interesting sequence. Yeah, I, I appreciate. I also appreciate that they're trying to go different directions. Like there's the bit where BB and Alfie are waiting in the like the the lounge area of Boogaloo music, and then the, he's talking to the one guy and he's like, "Oh, I'm the master of ballet 2000 or whatever." He says, and it starts off this whole sequence of like kind of what happens at Boogaloo. Not the greatest song, but interesting. You know, yeah. like I could. So like I. <laughs> This is me showing my whole thing of like, I feel like musicals, as much as they want to stretch uh, between scenes, sometimes I feel like some of the songs are just from to get to, get to the next thing. That, yeah. So I don't really care. Like, you could you could damn me all to hell. Tommy's an interesting film. I made sure that we watched it at a midnight showing when the Capitol was showing it in Cleveland cinemas because my wife had never seen it. I'm like, we have to see this once. It's, it's something to see. Mm -hmm. And the movie drives her nuts, but she now loves the, the actual album. 
Right. Like, so, but there's bits in that movie where I'm like, what the hell is going on? But there's great points to it. I mean, I I am not a big Who fan, but I I, I love Pinball Wizard. Like, that's, that's, an, a that's a cool sequence, song. true. Right, the yeah. song's great, but then even in the movie with Elton John playing that part, yeah. it's a cool sequence, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that like like of all the musicals that I can love through and through are only a handful. Like you know, you got Little Shop of Horrors. I can I can enjoy a great deal. Um, South Park, the movie, I know, but it is a musical. When they pitched it to the, the, the movie studio, they're like, we want to do an R-rated musical that's animated. They're like, we can't do that. It's like, we're going to do it. And they did, you yeah. know? So like, I can, like, there's things that I can love and I can sing over and over again. I've not seen the Book of Mormon. I'm sure it's wonderful all the way through. I've seen Book of Mormon, and that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, it's really good. And I'm sure Hamilton, if I actually got into it, I'd probably dig it a great deal as well. Um, so, you know, my mileage may vary, but with this... Like if whenever you got to like BB's big breakout hit of that speed, which talks about like America needing like its next fix of power. Yeah. It's like, well, that's weird. I don't disagree with it, but it's weird. Like yeah. it's like that's her big pop hit. Sure. Uh and then her, you know, don't cry out loud moment. That that's <laughs> <laughs> have you seen um Drop Dead Gorgeous? No, I haven't. There, there's a bit where one of the uh, beauty pageants, is, she's singing the song Don't Cry Out Loud, and she had won the year before because she'd like driven herself to the point of like anorexia and starvation. So she's like in a wheelchair. So like the next year they bring her back for her her um, like her performance before she has the count off. And she's in a wheelchair with a nurse pushing her behind her oh singing Don't was it Don't Cry Out Loud. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, so that bit of where, um, BB's like singing this like duet with Alfie and they're both crying and yeah. Alfie's like leaning out a window of an apartment building that belongs to the Bronx warriors. Like, like the <laughs> shittiest part of town. Like that's fine. Like it, it's all, it's like, do, could you, could I tell you specific lyrics? No, I think yeah. the music's fine. It's just, it's not the best, but I guess it's made hearing- out of whole cloth. I don't know. It's its own thing. You know, they say, uh, you know, one of the things that one of the facts that I read about the movie uh, was that, uh, you know, at its pr- premiere screening, people threw complimentary uh, copies of the soundtrack at the screen. And I'm like, God, the music well, must they, be they terrible. Were, they were handed it out like little for, like little vinyl records, right? Yeah. So, um, and it wasn't. So I found out it wasn't the actual Montreal screening. It was the L.A. screening where they threw them at the screen. So, OK, it, um, yeah, uh, it was uh, premiere at the 1980 Montreal World Film Festival where its attendees received vinyl records and then it actually was thrown at L.A. Pat, like screening. So um, so speaking of just to give some context about the music. One, I just want to point out that July 12th, 1979 was the day that was known as the day disco died where it was the famous uh, disco demolition night at the Comiskey Park in Chicago. Okay. Familiar with that a little bit uh, where they're like disco destruction night where they blew up records on like the, the, the outfield and it caused so much anarchy that the police had to like stop the crowds and uh, the white Sox had to forfeit their second game that night because of all that. But everyone was so disgusted with disco that that's what happened. And this came out like a year later. Right. So think about that. Um, So just point of point of reference. Um, the London Philharmonic Orchestra was performed uh, orchestral arrangements for some of the songs and some of the other pieces in the film. And uh, George S. Clinton was brought in to conduct it, right? Wow. So he served as conductor, and he said he was initially scared shitless as it was his first time conducting a full professional orchestra. This, and something I'll bring up later in a few minutes about the production of the movie, describes the apple to a T. 
Instead of a baton, he conducted the orchestra with chopsticks he received from a Chinese restaurant <laughs> that was two buildings away from the studio where the soundtrack was recorded. Does that not feel appropriate? It does. Where it's like, oh, we're bringing you this amazing thing. And he's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to use chopsticks to conduct this orchestra. <laughs> that feels about right. It feels very much in vogue with the rest of the film. Yeah. So here, I'll, I'll drop this other bit of knowledge for you, too. Just, so this is the book I keep talking about that I, I, I had not referenced actually by name on the podcast. It's called uh, Hollywood A Go-Go. It's by Andrew Andrew Yule, The True Story of the Canon Film Empire. This book is out of print. It cost me a fair amount of money. It was actually released in the United Kingdom. No wonder I had to buy it separate. Like from, It cost me $30 for this really thin book. And this is an acceptable copy of this paperback. It's not available like new. Like You could buy it new for a lot of money, but it's not something that's in wide print. This was uh, written in 87 before Cannon fell. So this guy, his whole uh, his whole idea was, how are they making this money? Like, what yeah. is going on with this? And he, he actually stated that he believed that the Cannon group was actually kind of doing the Indian rope trick of, like, they go up. I don't know how they do it, but it has to be a trick. So he, had, he started looking at their finances. So I'm going to read you two paragraphs from this book. Uh, I'm going to read you the second one and then the first one, and I'm going to get your reaction to it. <clears throat> Next to roll was another goal and specially put in this in, in quotes uh, that he would direct himself called the apple built as a futuristic rock musical fantasy. If only the artist and Golan could have been held down for a time, things would have been much better for them as this was to be another total disaster ravaged by the few critics allowed to see it and deemed to be totally unreleasable. After a title change that, that surfaced in Britain as star rock, which is true, uh, a shocked Tim Pauline, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, uh, wrote in monthly film bulletin, this cut rate piece extravaganza plummets to a new low and opportunistic insanity. I'm sorry, inanity. So that's the first paragraph. Sorry, the second paragraph. Here's the first one. This will, I think, will explain all of this movie. Among the other goal and Globus features lined up for 1979 were to be musicals. The King and the Cobbler, described by Golan as a biblical rock musical, and another called Discomania. Like many other features that were announced, these were never appeared, and and from the sound of them, perhaps it's just as well. I argue that the King and the Cobbler and Discomania morphed into the Apple. Yeah. So I think that's very fair. <laughs> I, I read that and I was just like, mind blown. <laughs> I mean, and that's the thing, you know, they were always trying to find, you know, that thing to hook on to, you know, and it's like with Breakin, they sort of accidentally fell into, you know, what, what would soon become like a big craze in America. They was one What of was the sequel times. called, though? Well, it was Electric Boogaloo. The name was still in his head. <laughs> you know, like it's just one of those things where it's like, all right, well, this didn't work. We're going to have Boogaloo still in here. Yeah. The tiger may show up again. And we don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, no, I just, I, I do, I do find it fascinating that, like, no matter what he touched, <laughs> there were certain <laughs> aspects that just kept creeping into it. Kept his showing work. up, right? So you know, I'm kind of surprised there wasn't a musical song in Over the Top now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, meet me halfway across the sky, right? So uh, Nigel Ligon, uh, Lythgo and Ken Warwick, who are the choreographers for the Apple, uh, he said um, uh, describe, they described making the Apple as really, really depressing on some days and very, very stressful, adding that most of the cast and crew didn't really like the script. I mean, we really didn't. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I, I, I mean, like we, I think we touched on all aspects of this. Like it's just one of those things where I feel like there obviously there's talent on display, um, and there's intention intention on display, and you cannot deny Menachem Golan for his enthusiasm right. for this. Right, like you can tell, and like you you we were talking about this before recording the episode that uh, uh he supposedly during the the premiere at the Montreal Film Festival it, since people didn't like it and it kind of soured that he actually debated going to the top of the hotel that he was staying at and jumping off and killing himself. I, I think that's hyperbole. I think that he was just like, Oh, I'm so sad. I could kill myself. I really don't think he considered it. Cause I was waiting. For, I'm sure he was waiting for somebody to sweep in and be like, no, you could like, this is, this is a good movie. Menachem. It's fine. People just don't understand. He'd be like, you really think so? And then he would just go off on a terror. To be and, fair though, uh, anyone who's ever done an impression of him yells, so, like, I imagine that he probably, even if he was just stating it's it, like, probably yelled it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I'm going to kill myself! Yeah. I'm done! I'm done now! <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, it's interesting to note that, that after this film came out and did not make... So, he kept finding more and more money for it, by the way. Like, it was really had a budget of $4 million, and he would kind of come back and find another million and find another million. And it was, like, one of those things where it's, like... Well, how much bigger are you going to make this because the, you know, the intention isn't like the scope wasn't that big to begin with. And he kept adding money. So, of course, you want to show on the screen. So expectations kept rising. This was not a successful film for Canon, which this, among other things, led to them having problems where they ran to financial dire straits where Menachem Golan and Yoram Globus stepped in to buy a majority share of the, the studio. So he didn't do this on purpose. I know he did not mean to cause Canon to collapse right. to where they would buy it. But this is one of the last like legs they had to stand on was this film that led to them buying Canon and getting an owner, like a majority ownership of it. So interesting that his, his vision, his enthusiasm and his ability to get like funding caused this bomb that they then saw the opportunity to be like, cause they, they actually wanted to buy United artists at the time, but United artists had like, that was too big. So they couldn't buy that. Um, oh which, my God. Um, Can you imagine if they'd have bought United artists? Well, the funny thing, the, the United artists was started by Charlie Chaplin, uh, Douglas Fairbanks, and uh, there's some other people involved and I cannot remember their names. They wanted to break away from the studio system yeah. and actually make their own films. So, you kind of appreciate the spirit where they're like, we should buy United artists, but then it's like, they never put out. I mean, I guess we'll, we'll see as we go over the course of the year, like, like high quality films. Like, I mean, and, and there's going to be, I'm sure we're going to find other stuff that we enjoy, but I, I feel like United artists trajectory and tra- trajectory and aim was higher than Canon ever was. Yeah. Um, but you can see why they wanted to approach it, but they also believed that having Canon as a name was one of those things that would give them immediate like Western credibility. And I can't disagree with that, you know? So, because before this, their biggest, biggest draws were their lemon popsicle uh, films. And they did, um, Oh, the movie that would inspire Fiddle on the Roof. I forget the name of the movie off the top of my head. Tevye and his sons, I think. So they had success, but it was always localized to Israel and Europe. They yeah. knew that America was, was the way to go. And this was their attempt at making an American film. And you talked about it earlier. Um, that did not quite translate as well. And yeah, I just feel like had this movie actually had maybe another 20 minutes on the back end to kind of fluff out like the conflict and the resolution, it wouldn't still be great, but it would have probably a better landing amongst the critical review. But it 
It doesn't. It just stops, and that's the end of the movie. You know, I mean, what's interesting to me is is that the movie is filled with songs. Like, I was saying earlier that, like, I would get annoyed when, you know, there would be five minutes of dialogue and then another song, you know, in any musical. This, I feel like there's even less time frames between actual, like, mm-hmm. dialogue and music. I don't – just looking at it, you know, structurally – you know, they could have filmed things that could have explained Mr. Tops. They could have, that didn't have to be in song. Like, they could yeah. have done certain things that could be like, well, we just don't have a song in this scene. That's fine. There's 11 other songs in this movie, or however many songs yeah. there were. Like, you know, I don't know that I've ever seen a musical and felt like that needed another song, or it needed, if anything, it always felt like I could have done with less songs. But, um, you know, I, I don't know, like there's, and maybe it's the fact that, uh, you know, he was taking control of the project as a, a writer as well, and maybe that's where it really fell apart. Uh, maybe it would have benefited from either of those two just taking control of the project and, and trying to fix the narrative or yeah. bringing in, you know, and I'm trying to think of like who would be like a top screenwriter at the time. Whoever at that time would have been like, uh, you know, uh, the fix it man, I guess, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I just, you're right. I feel like it's one of those I'm, things where he, he wanted to do it his way and, you know, hell or high water, it was going to happen. I'm trying to think way. of ways to fix the movie yeah. and it's just, it's not, you know. So, in the, I again, like, it's a fool's I, errand. As much as I, I joke about Lucas not having people telling him no, I feel like everybody told Menachem Golan no. He just didn't listen. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like there's a difference there. I feel like his enthusiasm and his, like, we're just going to do this. It's going to, it's like, um, I don't know. It's just, it is what it just, yeah. He was driven. And we're going to find this probably more as we go along. I know some of the movies we're going to be covering in the year of Canada definitely were not directed by him, but obviously greenlit. So we're going to see how some of this goes, right? So, um, and I feel like maybe over the top later is something we need to revisit because he directed that film as well. Yeah. So, um, so other notes I just want to bring up here. Just one thing: the joke about uh, the uh, BB and Alfie being from Moose Jaw, Canada, was kind of funny. Like they kept bringing it up. Or it's yeah. like, They're from Moose Jaw. I thought that was funny. Uh, someone says nostalgia is dangerous. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, 1994 tapes are just tinier. Like they're not, uh, <laughs> they're not the full size. Um, Mr. Boogaloo is multilingual. I want to point that out. Whenever the press was talking to him, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, the, I said spoiler alert on the car because the spoiler of that car was huge. <laughs> one car. Um, let's see here. Uh, even dog faces can dance as well. I wrote the hell sequence like <laughs> yeah. um, some of the like there was the one where it was the double face on the person that was creepy that was looking. impressive yeah. yeah it was really creepy um, let's see here um, Bim is everything I wrote like like ha- how Amazon is now I wrote <laughs> uh, Coke is doing okay though did you know Coke was pretty yeah <laughs> which was funny because I was like oh I wonder if he got money from Coke yeah. but like there's a scene like I don't know oh, the production line it was like for like a second of them all the product people working on the production line are all dancing and Coke is running across like no like but there's Laverne a Shirley. scene like right Ooh. after that where somebody's drinking Pepsi so I was like oh well I didn't notice that that's yeah. funny um, and I wrote uh, dance cops because they all broke it down the dance. Like, like the purge happens for an hour because cops are dancing is what happens. Uh, soulful song and black leather and spikes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> drag orgy is what I wrote because whenever uh, uh, Alfie first walked in, every person was in drag. I mean, I'm not judging, but you know, they made it a point to show it. Um, 
I also wrote during the orgy song, uh, looks like the sexiest mattress mattress outlet ever. That's what I wrote. <laughs> um, park children, filthy hippies. That seems fair. Um, the, the pandy making her turn towards being a good person. doesn't make sense. Hobo Jesus is kind of buff. I talked about that earlier. Um, was it they have a kid and they're now hippie folk? <laughs> question mark while watching it. Space car? Question mark I wrote. Um, and, I, and this is a joke from from my wife. She called the car the 1994 Chrysler, as in Chrysler. Chrysler. <laughs> <coughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. And also, um, of what was it? Uh, let's see here. I'll have a bowl of champagne I wrote earlier, whatever they're in. Yeah. <laughs> what was with that? I'll have a glass of champagne. It's just like it's just like it's like a bowl. It's like a serving bowl full of champagne. Well, yeah. like they sell those like novelty wine glasses that are like literally the big ones. Yeah, yeah. it's like she's it like felt no, like that. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. All right. So we're gonna get to. Like, I feel like they're we're we're done with this. So we're done with the apple, but we're not. Done yeah, we're done. No, yeah. So this is something we need to figure out going forward. So we had things we talked about at the end of the year, the knockoff about the a tour scale and things. So should we use the apple as a baseline of if we liked it more or less than the apple? I think why not? I think that's fair Okay. because I, I, I don't, I don't think that there, uh, I don't know. I, I don't think there's going to be something that we're going to like less, but possibly <laughs> I, maybe, I don't know. Cause it wasn't like we outright hated this. I didn't hate this movie. I did not. So, I did not. Uh, but <laughs> so I, my recommendation is check out the fam of the paradise. My recommendation is try to find, and this is going to be hard to find anybody listening that is in America, but you can find it elsewhere. Voyage of the rock aliens, which is a little later in the eighties. It's a musical. It's goofy as hell, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, Steve will know. Steve will eventually watch Voyage of the rock. Aliens. Yeah. I, um, I have a copy and have not watched um, it yet. So, I feel like there's other fun, weird, just weird musicals that are out there. So, do I regret watching this film? No. So I will quote a uh, friend of the show and my co-host on Strange Highways, Kevin, who was on for our talk about Electric Boogaloo. He said to me, um, after a few drinks, he said, I like the apple. I will never own the apple. <laughs> <laughs> so I will say, I like the apple. I unfortunately own the apple. <laughs> My wife loves this movie though, and it's, but but it's it's also frustrating. So yeah. there's something to be said for like I will always appreciate the swing and the miss versus the non swing at all. Yeah. Like so, there is something here that there is a charm to it, and there are moments of like I can see what they're going for, but then it just runs right into like the like the rut and just like it just falls apart. That's all. Like, that's just it's there is an idea here. It's just not translated well. Yeah, I, I, and I don't think this film qualifies for this description, but um, I think it was Tarantino who was describing a movie once, um, and I don't remember which film it was, but he called it a beautiful mess. Mm -hmm. And like, this I, is, I a, often this is describe, an interesting mess. I often describe, say, for instance, uh, Star Trek: The Motion Picture is a beautiful mess. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if this quite qualifies as that, but it's it's as close to an analogy as I can come. Yeah. Um, it certainly is a swing and a miss, but I've, I've also sat through movies that I feel like were far more torturous, I guess, um, in the sense of 
them being a mess. So this is the epitome of frustrating, I guess. This is a midnight like showing like people. I could see why this has a cult like status, like attached to it. Like if this was, if this was playing at like a local Cleveland cinema at like a midnight showing, I'd be there in a heartbeat with your bim mark, with my bim mark on, which I still have on, you know, it's, it's falling off, but I'll have it on. Um, so I would, I would support that. I would support that this and people, you know, it's just, just because something isn't successful, isn't, it isn't worth giving your time to, you know, right. like that's, and I, I think that this is one of those things where you just be like, what just happened? That, that is the epitome of this film. So I enjoyed it. I'm sure I'll see it again eventually just because we own it now, you know, like, and cause, um, what was it? Shout factory, I think, or somebody, somebody, Kino Lorber. Kino Lorber, which is a European label. They put out a lot of interesting stuff. And yeah. the, this is one of them. Um, it's, it's worth watching. So we'll say this will be our baseline for the whole year. Um, so then I guess two other questions will come up with one. Would you recommend this to others? I would, but I would do it with, again, I guess this also goes back to a lot of what we did with the year of the knockoff. It would depend on who I'm recommending it to, okay. because I would give out, uh, not even cautionary, but like I, I, there's certain people that I could say like that I know that I would be like, oh, watch this. Um, and give them examples and be like, this is what you're in for. There are other people who I know would not get this on any level, so I would not recommend it to them. I think it, it's a very special, I don't want to say crowd, that you're, you're, you're... Well, it's kind of the same thing like whenever I kept like asking you to go see a Neil Breen film. It's right. like more like, I know you're already like kind of like, I'm ready for weird and something yeah. doesn't make sense. And again, this film, is, as much as it makes a hard right turn and the ending doesn't make sense, it's much more approachable than some of the more oddball stuff that you and I have talked about. So yeah, if someone's already kind of like their feet, their toes are in the water. They're geared for this kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, this is not something I would go in blind if I couldn't read somebody. Like it would be one of those things where it's like, if I already kind of got a vibe of what someone's willing to put up with, then absolutely I'd recommend the Apple. Yeah. So um, I don't know, like how do we give this, how do we give this a rating? Is this out of like, uh, out of five, out of, out of 10? Out of five apples, I don't know. Uh, are we are we creating an apple scale? I guess are we creating apple scale? I don't know if we're creating apple scale. I just feel like we need to have a couple things for baseline from going forward. Like because the next the next movie we're doing is Enter the Ninja, which pretty sure there's no apples in that. But one Franco Nero is in it. So um, uh, how many uh, how many cannons? <laughs> how many cannons or uh, Monocums? Monocums. Uh, yeah, on the Monocum index, how do we feel? Is it, do we feel like this is very Monocum? Do we feel like this is like at 100% monogamy. Obviously, he directed the film. I feel like if I ever have to write a science fiction story, I'm throwing the Monocum Index in I there. I feel like, no, no, we're going to do the Monocum Index on a scale of, <laughs> of you know, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. We'll do the zero Monocum up to 100 Monocum of like, it's pure balls out crazy, um, but there's intent and, and, uh, creative passion i don't know if that's i feel like i'm giving a conan o'brien skill right like he'll he'll rate video like he does the thing where he'll like he's the lazy gamer and he'll like give like scales for games that his scales make no sense like, <laughs> he's like on a scale of it was okay to i don't know how i feel about it i give it a it's an all right like you're like how is that right i don't understand it <laughs> so on the monocum index i would give this because because the ending because there's no creation bit that's talked about i'm gonna give it an 85 on the Monocum Index, because I feel like had we seen dinosaurs falling apart, 
God creating, uh, you know, Alfie and a tiger running away, it'd be 100%. It'd be a 100% on the Monocom Index. So I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to measure other films up against this. So, because I don't want to go too high with it. I mean, I feel like an 85, you've only got 15 more points to go. That's like, fair. Like, I, uh, I have set, I've set the bar. It's going to be set skewed. the bar high. It's going to be horribly skewed as I go on the year. I kind of feel like just knowing what Enter the Ninja is, it's already going to be better than an 85. So, so should I back it down to like a 75, Monacom? I mean, you can keep your rating as it is. But <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say that I'm probably going to put it somewhere. We'll say like a 65. Okay. Whoa. You're giving it a uh, D plus out of 100. Yeah. Okay. So uh, what's a solid C? Like a 72? 72. A 72 on the Monocom Index. I'm going to 85. It's it's Uh, crazy enough, but it just doesn't hold together. That's fair. All right. So that's going to do it for the Apple. May we never speak of it again until we talk about the next film. Because uh, I'm sure we'll use our Apple Index, our, our Apple rating, and our Monocom Index. I like this. This will be fun. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's going to do it for this uh, for this talk. If you guys have any interest in the Apple, just come over to my house. I'll show it to you. It's fine. If not, you can find it for less than 20 bucks online, DVD and Blu-ray. Like it's, um, you know, you could buy it. You may not, you know, it's, it's up to you if you guys want to take that chance. I say, you know, if you know me, I'll be more than happy to let you borrow it. Uh, if not, then just go ahead and buy it and then uh, show it to other people. You'll get yeah. your money's worth. I really don't understand why this film isn't streaming. Like there, there could be revenue coming off of it. Yeah. Like even if you throw it up for a you know a dollar ninety nine rental on iTunes or Vudu or whatever. Like you're still making well, money. Because MGM off of has it. the rights to this now because of what happened with the collapse of Canon, and that brings me to the final point I was going to make with this. I feel like this is something that could be revisited if. I, I keep seeing ads for this Friends musical that's playing in like around locally. Like people have made a musical. It's yeah. like I don't I don't care. I know it sounds bad. <laughs> it's like great. Could you I don't be care. any less interested? Yeah, I, I, you're right. <laughs> um, like I, I don't know. It was it Chicken Duck? Wasn't it the whole thing they had like the 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 chicken and the duck in the one apartment that was uh y- yes yeah, yeah. I don't care. I really do not care. So, but if they're going to turn that into a musical, I feel like the Apple could be brought out as a live show. If someone looked at the notes at the intention of what was supposed to be yeah. and maybe make one or two more songs that bridge things, this could be a fun live show. It could be a fun revival uh, done with care and consideration, and it could be an oddball. Like I yeah. think, I think it could be a lot of fun. I mean, even though I can say that my intent is probably to not watch the Apple, at least not alone ever again. Like if <laughs> I'm at a party and somebody's like, oh my God, you got to see this crazy movie. And like, it's, you know, a group of friends watching it. I would totally sit through it. But with that in mind, if it was a musical, I'd probably go see it. Yeah, why not, right? You know, and I'm not a musical guy, but I, if somebody was like, "Oh, I mean, with it's your hilarious. pedigree, though, like yes. you have to," you'd be like, "I don't know how I don't know how I feel about the blocking." So and so missed their mark. I would have I would have definitely have handled the 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 orgy song differently. Let no, me like, tell you how I did it in the Music Man. No. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that that's. I feel like this is something that, like, really, how much can the rights be? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's like, true. <laughs> It's and everything else is being remade, so why not the Apple? So I feel like it could be remade, or even maybe even do a tongue in cheek, like you keep talking about the Simpsons with like you know the monorail thing. Like, yeah, you could do something like this where it's more breaking the fourth wall and have a lot of fun with it. I'm sure. But all right, anyway, uh, so that's going to do it for our talk about the Apple. You guys can find us on Facebook. 
uh, where if you want to post your thoughts about the Apple, if you have not seen this or are now traumatized by our talk about it, and um, doing the BIM at the end, because if you do the BIM for the hour, that's what's required. Uh, you can find us on invasionthepodcast.com, which I will be writing about New Year's Evil, another canon film that was released shortly after I believe that these guys purchased canon. I know they were trying to do some of the similar genre things that were going on at the time. I've not seen the film, but we'll, I'll watch and I'll write about it. So we'll see how that goes. Um, you, you can find um, us, I don't know, on Twitter, uh, Invading Podcast, uh, or Invading Podcast Gmail, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google uh, Music, wherever you find our podcast, rate and review us. And Steve, how can people find you separately? You can find me at the Saturday Night Slasher.com or you can check out my Etsy shop uh, under the Art of the Slash on Etsy. Uh, and May 31st through June 2nd, I will be appearing at Retro Invasion Weekend in Westlake, Ohio. Yeah, so it'll be a lot of fun. And you got, you can see Steve, um, Joe Bob Riggs. I mean, if you want to meet him, but you yeah. can meet Steve. You Steve. can meet me uh, in, yes. in the flesh. Yes, uh, we'll have BIM marks available for everybody. <laughs> um, I, I hope I remember that because I'll be like, here, have a piece of tape. They're like, what is it? <laughs> it's your BIM mark if you want a freaking ticket. You know, so... Uh, next week on the show, we're going to be looking at uh, a comic book. We're going to be looking at an arc, uh, Death in the Family. Yes. Um, which is uh, the death of a Robin. Yes. Or the death of the first, not the first Robin. Second it, it, Robin. It's second Robin. So Jason we'll be looking Todd. at Jason Todd. We'll talk about some of the history there and, and the comic itself. Um, Steve, obviously, if you guys don't know, knows Batman, uh, the character, and everything pretty well. So that'll be a lot of fun. Well, I mean, as much as killing a Robin can be fun. Yeah. It'll be an interesting discussion. Uh, and we'll talk about some of the actual like goings on that ha- that led up to that. Yeah, I mean, and, and there's there's some context that's going to go into that. Plus, you know, it's it's the 80th anniversary of Batman this year, so we're probably going to be pretty heavy on Batman content, at least, you know. Until I talk I'm, about Spider-Man. So until, <laughs> until Paul's finally like, we've talked about no, Batman enough. No, yeah, we're done with him. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, so yeah, that's going to be next week. Hope you guys have a safe week. And in the meantime... Uh, you guys should just do the BIM. Yeah.